Think of the difference between an iPhone video and a Sundance film. Camera audio versus a studio track. A novice or someone with experience. Sure, each has their place, but which will have maximum impact? Summer Shower Productions, a black-owned, woman-owned production company built to create valuable and inspirational content for you. Whether it's a promotional video, a short film, interviews, event photography, or utilizing our extensive editing and post-production tools to take your already captured content to the next level. We always bring creativity, integrity, and passion to every project we produce. So, consider Summer Shower Productions for your next project. Let's build something great together. What's going on, folks? It's your boy again, back in the building. Dr. Sean Thomas here, episode 53 of the Be More Today show. We are back, we are back, we are back in the building. And folks, the month of March is slowly coming to a close. My favorite month in the entire year. I've been so grateful for all the birthday wishes and whatever people have given me. But um, March is actually going to be ending soon. I'm going into April and the rest of the year and spring is here. So it's a great time for us to get out, to get moving, to stay more active. Uh, and the Be More Today has been continuing to promote healthy living, healthy lives, lifestyles, and people who are doing great things, ordinary people, extraordinary things. That's been our hashtag, our model since day one. Uh, right now, we are heard in 40 countries. So we are continuing to grow and it's bigger and bigger every single week. Thanks to your support. So I really appreciate it. And the Be More Today show continues to move forward. Um, so keep supporting us. Um, your love offerings are great. Uh, your Instagram messages are fantastic. Subscribe to us on YouTube and on uh, Instagram and all the other platforms and continue to keep pushing forward so we can get information to you in a great way. My quotation for today is simple, as always. It is how wonderful it is that nobody need wait for a single moment before starting to improve the world by Anne Frank. Folks, we are living in a time where each of us can be responsible to make the world a better place. Um whether it's you at your job, doing your regular thing, right? Encouraging someone who's going through a hard time or just doing your job to the best of your ability, or just making sure we take care of our planet, right? Whether it's recycling or whether it's just making sure that you stay healthy, uh, getting your nutritional values in. And especially during this COVID-19 time, we've seen, we've been through the worst of times that anyone has ever experienced in our entire lifetime. So it's so more important now than ever before to stay healthy, uh, to get your sleep, to get your, your rest, to exercise, to continue to inc- incorporate that for your life and for others around you. And um, the more we do that, right, each of us in our little pods, right? Because everybody has pods nowadays. It's like our new saying, everybody's in your little pod. But these pods, right, those pods living well, um, we continue to wear our masks, continue to get our vaccines, continue to get better. We can get better back to a state of normalcy. And we're doing that now. They're saying that one in every six adults have been vaccinated up to date. And I'm impressed by that. I'm happy about that because it shows that people are believing in science and they're believing that we as a people can do this and get to a better place of normalcy. So continue to do your part, continue to wear your mask, continue to stay healthy, stay safe, uh, continue to look at information that's going to be noteworthy and truthful and fact check yourself so you know what's going on. And my guest for today is the fact checker of all fact checks. He is the one I wanted to bring on to make sure that everyone knows where we are, where we're going, and what we should be doing is keep this world a better place. And he's actually my friend and my brother, Dr. Ankur Shah. Now, uh, Ankur Shah, MD, NBA, and MPH is a general pediatrician 
and currently the Principal Senior Deputy Director at the DC Department of Health. As Senior Deputy Director of the Department's Community Health Administration, CHA, he leads the public health responsibility for improving health outcomes in the district across five broad areas, chronic disease prevention and control, perinatal and infant health, child, adolescent, and school health, nutrition and physical activity, and primary care access and quality. During the district's COVID-19 pandemic response, Dr. Shaw has critically served in a myriad of functions, including advising reopening metrics, supporting safe functions within childcare, schools, and universities, coordinating access to care strategies across the district's healthcare system, and directing the district's COVID-19 vaccination program. Dr. Shaw previously was a medical director and community pediatrician at Children's National Hospital. He was named a 40 under 40 in minority health by the National Minority Quality Forum. He graduated Madam Cum Laude from Emory University. And afterwards, he continued to complete his medical and public health training at Emory School of Medicine and Emory Rollins School of Public Health. He received his MBA from the George Washington University School of Business. He finished his pediatric residency and chief residency at Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. Dr. Shaw is board certified in general pediatrics and clinical informatics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, pets included. Please welcome to the stage, my friend, my longtime brother, Dr. Encore Shaw. Dr. Shaw, what is going on? How's it going? Things are good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. You know, you and I have been friends for, for eons. Uh, yes. Our families are connected. Your brother's my best friend. I've seen you grow up to be this mega powerhouse in the healthcare field. And um, I had to have you on the show just because I think you're awesome. And I think you've been doing great things for your community wherever you've gone. So thank you for taking the time out to, to talk to me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so what's going on with you? How are you and your family? And what's your status right now, given all that's happening with COVID-19 in, in the current world? Yeah, um, things are going well. I think in general, where we are as a nation, as a world, I think we are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel for this pandemic. And I think that's bringing a lot of hope uh, in our work in public health, as well as I think it kind of seeps through with our family and friends. Um, you know, just yesterday, um, me and my wife, we went out and took a walk uh, along Georgetown and everyone was just so happy. <laughs> I think, you know, spring is here, cherry blossoms here and um, are, are starting to bloom here in DC. And uh, I think things are finally maybe on the right track. We're almost there. I think we're on the 20 yard line, not quite there yet, but things are on the right track. And uh, after a tough year, uh, I think that's a lot to be hopeful for. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm glad that you're saying that. I think a lot of people who are not um, in the trenches as you've been, uh, you know, think that things are not getting better because all they see are still what's happening on the news. But in comparison to where we were, I mean, things have gotten so much better and continue to progress steadily towards a better a better future. So I'm glad you said that. And I'm glad that you guys are doing okay, you and your family. Um, I've always been curious because I asked everyone who's been on the show about their their journey to get to their their craft and their profession. Um, when did you know you wanted to be an MD? I would say early in college. So um, freshman year in college, there was this uh, program or something in which you could be an EMT. Uh, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll try to do that. And then uh, after I became an EMT, I actually started working as a tech in the uh, local e ER. Uh, so this was when I was 18. 
And, uh, you know, I love techs in the ER because they do a lot of everything and I have a lot more appreciation now, but I was also, um, pretty, uh, pretty down there in the rankings <laughs> when I started working in the ER. So I saw everything like, um, how, how it functioned and I was just enamored. I was like, this is where I want to be. So I think it was probably around there. That's cool. You know, a lot of people, I didn't know you were at EMT at all, but a lot of people who've gone down those routes um, have had some kind of experience that say, you know what, I like this. Um, and that just, you know, goes on and on and on to kind of get them where they're eventually going to be. And some people know what they want to do from the jump. Um, yeah. And I think you and I share that sentiment because I didn't know what, what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do something, but I had no idea it was going to be in the healthcare field. So those experiences do help. They like just, you know, really craft where you're going to be going for the future. But you know, from that point, you went to medical school clearly at Emory, um, school that I, I love and adore very much. A lot of friends who went there and have gone there. Um, what was that role like for you going from uh, Emory, the med school, and then, well, the undergrad and then the med school? Yeah, and um, I stuck around in Atlanta for, uh, for a while. <laughs> um, it was a nice transition because, you know, my, uh, my brother lived, uh, moved to Atlanta during the same time. I had family there. So it was quite, it was a really nice transition. And I think what helped me think about going to even med school and then going to public health school was this idea of uh, in college, I was like, okay, I like DMT. I like being in the ER. I like, you know, this idea of helping people. Um, But I didn't really know what that meant. And then in uh, med school, I started getting to global health work uh, a little bit more. And I was like, okay, that's what opened my eyes to really disparities in health. I would say, wow, there's a lot of folks around the world that have uh, harder time difficulty accessing healthcare. A lot of their social determinants are um, their barriers as well. So that's what kind of led me seeing that uh, while I was in med school, helped me lead me to think, okay, maybe I should do something in public health and get some public health training. So that's what kind of really pivoted me over uh, to public health to think about, well, how can I move from just, you know, thinking about one person at a time to multiple people at a time? Yeah. yeah. So then I know you went through all of that and then you chose to specialize in pediatrics. Yeah. Now, a lot of people who do pediatrics um, have, a, have a real knack for it, right? I think it's one of the, not, not difficult, but more challenging demographics to work with um, because pediatrics is a very, very special. It's a lot of heartstrings that get pulled with that. And a lot of foundational things, you know, start with our children. So what made you specialize and choose that specialty of, of pediatrics? Yeah, uh, a couple things. I think one, with this idea of public health and caring for a large number of people, pediatrics, you have uh, the biggest bang for your buck, if you will, uh, because you can really affect a trajectory of life early on. Um I think uh, I'm, I'm trying to recall this quote, but uh, it was um, Frederick Douglass who said it's easier uh, to build strong children than repair broken men. Um, and I think, you know, that's very kind of apt, that idea that you have this opportunity to instill um, healthy lifestyles, healthy behaviors um, in the form in the formative years of life. And that's kind of even why I went, became a general pediatrician. Um, so to really try to improve life trajectories as well. Um, I think that's more of the meta reason, but also it's just kind of fun. I love like talking to families, 
um, and, uh, you know, child health going from, you know, two minutes old to 23 years old, that span, uh, there's a lot of different, you know, each little age range is completely different. And then also, um, uh, this is uh, adult care probably wasn't my, wasn't my jam at all. I remember, uh, there's this time at our, um, at Grady hospital or one of our hospitals, um, when I was a medical student and, you know, you're like at 5am doing our pre-rounds and everything. And I was, um, I was doing a diabetic foot checks. So like you have to check the feet for folks uh, to make sure they're doing okay, which is really good and really interesting. But it was something in which like I was taking off a sock. It was early in the morning, all these adults around the skin popped up in my face from the foot. (laughs) I was like, I need, I need to get, I need to get back to the children's hospital. (laughs) 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 I need to get away from these adults. (laughs) That's funny. I think a lot of people have those experiences. I, I, I guess it goes both ways because some people could say, you know, dealing with pediatrics, some of the the, the things that they deal with, with that population can also turn them off. But, um, you know, the fact that you knew at that stage that that's what you wanted to do, again, it's something that I, I really appreciate. I think a lot of people have a hard time narrowing down what they want to do. But I always say, you know, the best thing to really do is go out there and, and see everything. You never know what you want to do until you see what you don't want to do. And you clearly saw that with that experience there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so before I talk more about your, your medical exploits, um, you, you did an MPH, which is Master's of Public Health, and you got your MBA. Now, I know your brother also is currently in the MBA program. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, and I'm, I'm recognizing that maybe he's trying to to catch up to you. <laughs> now that you officially have more degrees than he does. I um, so what What for you originally, because you're the originator, what sparked uh, this movement for you to go the MPH route and the MBA route? Because, you know, most people literally, they go through um, whatever school they do and that's it, right? They're, they're good. They're MD, boom. They're PT, boom. But you decide, you know what, I'm going to do this thing and expand my horizon. So what, what motivated you to do that? Where, where was the drive that, that came from that? Yeah, you know, um, there's a. Ha, have you seen the show uh, Arrested Development? I know about it, but I haven't watched yeah. it. Yeah. There's this. There's this character um, who uh, basically he has uh, Buster Bluth. He has all these degrees, but it's totally non-functional. Uh, he doesn't know. So that's a running joke in my family and friends. Is like oh, it's like Buster Bluth getting all these degrees. <laughs> um, I think you know even outside of. Um, thinking about the degree itself, I think at every stage, it's, I, I start thinking about what, um, what type of impact I want to make and then what tools I need to do that and what's the best strategy to get those tools. So for example, in medical school, and, and then how easy is it? Because I actually have a lot of thoughts around higher education. I think it's absurdly too expensive. I don't, a lot of it, the value of, receiving, you know, uh, that type of education versus, uh, for the costs versus other avenues where you could receive that type of education. I don't think that value equation is there. I know it's funny coming from someone like me who has some degrees also at private institutions, which are a a lot more expensive as well. Um, so like I sense the hypocrisy in that, in that sense by itself, but the, uh, 
it's really, I thought about what tools would I need to do something in the future? So for example, when I was thinking about my public health degree, it was, I, I felt at that time, I wanted to care for larger populations. And then there was this opportunity within the med school. It's basically, you just say yes for extra year and you get a significant tuition discount to do that. So I had that thought and then I saw this opportunity and I jumped on it as well. Then um, for my MBA, this was after I completed my pediatric residency training. And I wanted to uh, have that same idea of improving health systems. So how do we make hospitals and health centers function better, care, have better outcomes? As you know, currently uh, how healthcare is financed, mainly, I think it's changing now, but mainly it's financed through fee for service. So it's volume. You know, you just see more people and that's how folks get paid. And then the more you do, the more you get paid as a system, health system. So what does that lead to? Well, everyone wants ERs to be bumping. You know, you probably go to some cities and you see a 10 minute ER wait time. Why is that advertised? Because they want to drive folks through the ER. So I think we're changing that now to say a health system, you're in charge of this population and your goal is to make them healthy and keep them out of the hospital. So that's a whole different shift. And I was thinking, you know, I think that's where things are going. And I want to be prepared to talk that language and maybe be a leader in that. And that's why I chose to um, go the MBA route as well. Mm. No, that's powerful because now you're talking about a bigger scope. Um, you know, the Anne Frank quote was was not chosen by accident. That's really about you improving the world on, on various levels. I think some people use their, their platform for certain things and they're successful but to use your platform and then recognize that you can expand that platform by doing other things that usually are used for other things, right? You see MPH, you yeah. research and, you know, other things that are community-based, of course, and in the MBA, you're talking more about, you know, businesses. But the same way that those companies in their own right or those entities are run, you can still use those degrees to do what you're doing even better. And I think yeah. you've mastered that in, in what you're doing. So kudos to you for that. Um, now, I know you are the principal senior direct, deputy director, right? Uh, for DC's health. Um, and, you know, for Cha, I'm, I'm curious what what that exactly means in terms of your role for that area and for the areas in, in its vicinity. Yeah, so um, I would say outside of our pandemic response, um, kind of what my role is, is I'm uh, our director's deputy. So basically, if she is out or anything, then I step into that role as well, um, as well as her principal advisor. But then also the uh, within CHA, I think that's kind of where uh, a lot of the really great uh, transformative work can be done on the longer term outside the pandemic. Because for example, the breadth of this, um, of our public health entity includes, you know, WIC, so Women and Children's uh, Program. our, so it, state WIC offices, also local food, health, uh, healthy food access initiatives. So we have, we uh, partner and fund um, not only our food banks, but also innovative programs like um, senior home delivery uh, food programs, farmers markets, uh, joyful food markets in which we partner with farmers markets to bring uh, healthy foods in schools. And then there's a chef and they do all that. So all of those like type of community-based programming but then also cancer, chronic disease prevention. So working with our health centers to have better cancer screenings, getting that coordinated care. Loan repayment is uh, run through our office 
as well. So physician and uh, health professional loan repayment. And so we get, get to think about what strategy in terms of healthcare needs, identify those folks and really think about the pipeline, you know, from high school to University of District Columbia, where a lot, a lot of our local folks go, or even um, our local universities such as Howard University or GW, pulling them through as well. And then the Family Health Bureau, which is really large, that includes our newborn screening program, our, uh, a lot of our infant mortality work, um, and then our school-based health services. So we have school nurse in every school. And so that is kind of run through our department as well as about six school-based health centers, so clinics in high schools as well, and then home visiting as well. So it's kind of like this scattered <laughs> approach of all these different activities and kind of how we uh, use all that to sh- move the momentum of better health wow. as well. And then the pandemic kind of everything switched and everyone's a hundred percent pandemic response. Right. So first of all, incredible. I didn't know that, that, that spanned uh, that array of, of entities. I mean, the fact that you mentioned so many things uh, affects so many um, on various levels, right? Uh, No matter what your educational status is or even economic status, you can be impacted positively or negatively by each of those programs that you listed. Um, so that's incredible by itself. And then like, like you said, COVID-19 has been the, the, the major disruptor of all these things. Um, so with the new, um, well, not even new, with COVID-19 now and, and its effects on everything, how has the, or how have these programs been affected? Yeah. You know, uh, I think we've been thinking about, in general, all of us in the, in the public as well, COVID-19 the effects on um, the direct effects, the number of infections, the um, unfortunately the hospitalizations and deaths due to it and the folks who are getting the, suffering the brunt of the pandemic. But then there's like these secondary reasons because of the pandemic that we're seeing as well. A common secondary um, sequelae that we often hear about is the economic consequences, right? You shut everything down. Folks can't make a paycheck. Folks can't keep your business running. I mean, it's horrible as well. And there's a, there's a, but if you open, you know, a bar up, you're going to spread COVID. So it's, you know, it's this tension and uh, that's why you need kind of this federal support to, uh, to help alleviate that tension. Um, But then there's other health secondary sequelae I think about with is um, with kids not in school, was your mental health, um, physical health as well. Um, there's all these folks, especially in March and May, people weren't going for routine visits. So, and I'm sure you see this too in your, you know, people, you probably your patients you've seen for a while that you're making a lot of progress with just stop coming in. And then you're just like, and then they kind of take three steps back um, as well. And that's, you know, that is tr- true throughout the healthcare system, especially outpatient healthcare system. Even um, elective uh, surgeries were postponed, which I don't even think, it's not elective, it's non-urgent. You know, it's medically indicated a lot of these surgeries, <laughs> it's just non-urgent. So um, that's a lot of what I think we've seen and that is like waiting for us as this pandemic decelerates as well. What we've done in our, in CHA, is really uh, try to pivot our programs to meet the need. So we knew um, seniors, for example, were gonna be at home, they should be at home, they should be out 
going everywhere and even the grocery store. So we change our programming to do all food delivery and healthy food delivery for seniors. And we expanded it. So we drew threw more money into it and moved from other ways. Home visiting where uh, folks go for early childhood home visiting, we moved the telehealth option for that. Um, we uh, did assisted telehealth for our healthcare providers. So really help them not only do telehealth, but then give the blood pressure cuff to the pregnant mom uh, at home. So then they could get some data as well. So those are the type of things we kind of pivoted as well. Even our school nurses, we have this workforce now that weren't, weren't in school and especially in the spring, we brought them in uh, to run our uh, COVID-19 uh, call center uh, for anything like for contact tracing. So they're our first contact tracers. <laughs> in, in April, we uh, when they were in school. So some of those things. Amazing. Uh, that's really incredible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really baffled at the the positive response and the resiliency that that your your administration has really done. Um, yeah, like you said, it, it really affects us, especially with my clinic and what we do with operative physical therapy. Uh, elective surgery is that shot us down. You know, so we were seeing people who were still you know, chronic illnesses. So our arthritic people, they would come in, they would still do their things. The people who were non-surgical were still coming or already had surgery. They were still coming. But anyone who was elective, um, like you said, um, uh, was held off. And, you know, our, our numbers dwindled and we went to telehealth and other things. And just a mere fear of people being afraid to be in, you know, our, our clinics and our environments made things different. But we did telehealth as well. And that was very helpful. I mean, that got us really through the brunt of of COVID, especially in New York. I mean, New York, as you know, was the epicenter for the longest time. And, you know, from 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 March until May, June, uh, it was it was it was bad. It was horrible. Um, but we got through it. And, um, you know, we're very specific and very serious about our mask wearing and about our um, numbers for our offices and for our clinics and even for our grocery stores and everything around here. I think everyone in New York, for the most part, gets it. And we've been holding it down because we saw the worst of it. We really saw yeah. the Oh my gosh, that was yeah so tough. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, but you know, looking at the response from the other countries and districts around the world, and even you know, um, especially DC, it's been it's been really uh, in, encouraging to see that people are getting it and that people are really taking this seriously. Um, I'm not sure why it took us so long to do that as a people, but we're doing it now, which is great. Um, so, you know, my question for you now is now with COVID-19 and, and things are opening up, I know you're also in charge of, of reopening um, for a number of different entities. What goes into the advising, reopening metrics, um, supporting state functions and, you know, <coughs> childcare, schools, universities, what goes into all that planning and how has your administration um, been doing with that so far? Yeah, it is... Um a high intensity uh, environment, as you can imagine, because there's a lot of advocacy um, and public interest about reopening as well, um, understandably so. I think our, the, what we do is we use our own data. Uh, so what we're seeing where spread is, and then also looking at other data across the nation to make an informed decision, and then using CDC as our kind of North Star to help guide us as well. I think... Uh, but what is interesting is there is um, actually I could tell you kind of a hot topic right now is schools. Uh, 
it's schools in person. We know now throughout this time that secondary transmission, which means you don't, uh, how much is COVID spread within the school? Not someone bringing COVID in the school, but get catching it from school is very low. So there's these new studies that show, all right, you don't need six feet of distance. You actually need three feet of distance as well. Um, and there's a huge outpouring about, okay, let's do three feet of distance. Let's get more kids in school. And then um, how we kind of uh, take that science and then really implement that as well, which on that front, when it's something that the science is there, we see it and we're going to implement it. I think it's kind of straightforward and we are going to do. Uh, so that's coming up in the next week for DC, for example. Um, but I think uh, it goes around this uh, topic about health equity in which uh, there's been incredible disparities in the burden of the pandemic uh, across communities of color and then geographically as well uh, across DC and I'm sure in um, New York as well. And when I think about schools and I'm seeing where this advocacy is coming from, you know, right now we have, you know, there's only limited about in-person spots for schools in DC public schools. Um, in Ward 3, where uh, kind of our more affluent neighborhoods are, there's a wait list. There's like folks wanting to get in school. Ward 7 and 8, there's seats open. So, uh, and I think it's because, you know, if you had the worst of the pandemic, you're rightfully afraid or you rightfully have questions about sending your kid into an environment when you've seen more in your own personal life, you know, the brunt of the pandemic versus other places that haven't. And um, my question always is when these, you know, when we hear these advocates or people talking about uh, changing this recommendation, which is a scientific recommendation, which we'll do, is what, will that improve the confidence or decrease the confidence among those folks who probably need their kids in school, get benefit from in school, or you can have more people pulling their kids out because they don't agree. Has anyone thought of that? And I think this Health equity has been like a buzzword this last year, but everyone talks about equity until it's about them. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, actually, no, I'm okay. We see this with a vaccine too. Everyone talks about health equity with vaccine, except when it's about your vaccine or your parents' vaccine, then you'll use whatever competitive advantage you have to get it. So yeah. um, I think that's kind of, I don't know if I answer your question. No, probably one of the <laughs> that, that's a valid point though. I, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. It's it's all about everything is relative. And yeah. you know, whenever you need or you want is different than what is best for, you know, either the country or the world or your city or your town, or your community, or you know. So it's it's very, very interesting. Um and that's why I think you having the 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 trifecta, as I will say, I guess, for the MD, MB, um, the MBA and the P MPH, that really gives you a better or a broader sense of how things are run. Um, and how to look at things, not just from a medical perspective, but also from the business aspect. Because again, this is a business. I mean, we don't want to really always say yeah. that, but you know, there's a, a big business component when it comes to healthcare and the way that we we roll certain things out. Um, and then, of course, the MPH component, looking at the the overall community health aspects and how it's going to affect our people, um, all people um, moving forward. So, I, I really appreciate your 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 ability to see things from multiple angles i think it's 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 something that we all should be doing in all of our professions um and yeah hot topics especially with kids in open school even in new york it's been the hottest topic about you know when to reopen how to reopen 
Um, you know, we just started opening recently venues for, for sporting venues. Um, and, you know, it's at minimum 10% right now. And, and restaurants have been doing their thing in terms of um, social distancing, in terms of small little pods and whatnot. And they've been successful. Um, but yeah, as we move forward into these, these latter months and as it gets warmer and as people come out and as schools do tend to reopen, how's that going to be affected? Um, and everyone has the question I'm going to ask you right now, especially when it comes to our pediatric population about, you know, COVID-19, we've already seen that this vaccine um, has been effective uh, for adults and adults are taking it. Again, as I said earlier, one in every six adults as of right now, they're saying has already taken the vaccine. Um but when it comes to the pediatric population, there's a lot of scarcity in terms of research about, you know, should they take it? Should, is it ready for them? And a lot of people have said it's not for it's not for pediatrics, which we've shown that kids are not taking the vaccine. But looking at the future in terms of moving forward, um, what are your thoughts on the debate about vaccinating the pediatric population? What year or what age you may have to, will we have to even do that moving forward if COVID-19 is gone by this time next year? What are your thoughts on, on all those, those thoughts? Yeah, so currently, you know, we have three uh, vaccines available that are highly effective and safe. The Johnson Johnson's a one shot and the Pfizer Moderna are two shot uh, vaccines. Um, Moderna and Johnson Johnson are for 18 years and older, and then Pfizer's for 16 years and older um, as well. So now there's studies um, for 12 and up being studied right now. And then uh, probably a little longer uh, term uh, for under 12. So it is likely that the next thing we'll see is one of these vaccines being approved for individuals 12 and up. Um, That could be as early as the summer, Mm. I think. So that's probably the runway we're thinking about. Also with these vaccines, I think we might should get socialized to the fact that we might need a booster so even though you got your two shots of Pfizer or Moderna, you might need a third one, maybe late summer or fall. Um, and that's fine as well. Um, to protect kids from COVID-19, because, you know, kids do you get COVID-19 um, and they can get very sick or um, they could develop this, you know, uh, multi, multi-system, uh, multi-inflammatory systemic uh, syndrome in children. The, uh, the best thing you do is, if you make sure everyone else is vaccinated in your family. So whenever it's your turn to get vaccinated in whatever city or state you're in, you know, saying yes to that is the best way to help them protect the kids as well. That's a good point. Um, I think a lot of people don't think about that in terms of them being safer for their children. They just mm-hmm. think about, you know, either themselves not taking it for whatever reason. And there's still a lot of stigma out there. And I, I, I've been trying you know, I think everyone's trying to do their best to convince, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, at least their household, their pod, their, their community, that it's okay. Especially even in the healthcare field and you're, you've seen, you know, either you're a frontline worker or you, you've seen just what's been happening around and you know the science and what things are happening. You tried your best to make sure you're putting out the best foot forward to educate your population and your people around you. But there's still some stigma, I think, around people taking it and waiting to see if you're going to have two heads or three heads and what have you. And, you know, it's just funny how people are still having these things. And we, we've already been a year since this pandemic has, has hit, um, but people are still on, on the fence when it comes to the, the vaccination. So I think, yeah, education is always better. Knowledge is power, clearly sharing that with others and continuing to do that, especially for our children um, moving forward. Um, and I know there are a number of people who, um, are in situations like I have a lot of patients who are homebound 
and you know they they can't come out. So I you know I see some people in their homes, um, and and they're curious about when they may be able to get the vaccine. And a number of them have been calling offices, and they're not getting responses properly, or they're saying you know they're not on the list yet because they're not priority yet. What are your thoughts, and what has DC been doing to make sure that? You know, people in those situations who can't come out and get to their local um, distribution center are still getting or having access to these vaccines. Yeah. So what we're doing is um, so I'll tell you about three initiatives and then one that's on the in the pipeline. So one is our um, we, we bring vaccine directly to low income senior housing through um, a partnership with actually Johns Hopkins and um, D.C. Housing Authority. So we vaccinate thousands um, of seniors where we just have vaccine clinics in their lobby as well. Um, and specifically, we're focusing on wards five, seven, eight, the southeastern and eastern half of the city as well. And then we have this initiative faith in vaccine program in which we partner um, with churches and houses of worship to bring uh, to have a vaccine clinic there as well. And then so our clinical partner and us, we deliver the vaccine, make sure there's, you know, vaccinating 200 folks at any given day. And then the church really reaches out to their congregation and reaches out uh, to their community to fill up the appointments as well. And that model really has worked because uh, with credible messengers as well. And then the um, faith leader usually gets a first shot, you know, like a public thing as well. Um, And then we have our senior buddy program in which we have, um, I think, you know, I, I forget the number, maybe over 50, definitely uh, out there uh, knocking on doors and scheduling uh, seniors right away and then helping them. And then they give them their cell phone number and they help them get, get to the appointment back. So those are a few of the things we're doing, but then there's also, okay, what if you're really homebound, you can't do any of that. Well, with the Johnson Johnson vaccine, this gives us the ability because the Pfizer Moderna vaccine are just kind of hard to handle, hard to move around and, you know, if you puncture a vial, you have to make sure you use all the doses. So going somewhere for one shot, what are you going to do with other 10 or nine doses mm-hmm. as well? And that was always the difficulty in operationalize something. Now with Johnson Johnson, we're talking about five or six, and it's easy to move around. So, um, and now that Johnson Johnson's out, we are implementing something using kind of uh, probably in the next two weeks where we're going to have nurses being able to kind of go directly there. And uh, we identify homebound seniors through a home health aid association, but also they could just sign up. And actually New York um, City has just launched something similar. There's this, uh, there's this webpage in which if you're a homebound senior, you could just sign up and then you're in the queue as well. So, um, you know, kudos to New York City. They uh, have been a public health leader in a lot of these things. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I think it's a testament to uh, technology, clearly, because that has just made our entire year easier for everyone. Um, but also to the fact that we're, we're, we're making sure that, and you guys are making sure that you're taking care of everyone. Like no one's being left behind during this thing. Because again, it is something that we all have to be on board with and we all have to be um, able to have access to, to some capacity. Because if we don't do that, then we're all going to be in this situation for a longer, a longer time. I just want to take a minute, if you don't mind, Dr. Shaw, just to, um, can you give listeners who are on the fence, because there are some people who are still on the fence about this, um, and it's always good to hear from different perspectives, um, especially given your background and what you're doing now. Um, what would you say to someone who's still on the fence about 
um, taking the, the vaccine and the efficacy and safety of taking the vaccine. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let me talk big picture first, and then I can talk about maybe some common uh, concerns people have. In the very big picture, I think for an individual, you only have two options. You have two doors you're going through. Uh, and I understand one door is the when it's your turn to get the vaccine. And I understand you could be concerned because you have to trust other folks that's safe. You know, you personally don't know, so you have to trust people, you know, like yourself or me, your family, Dr. Fauci, uh, and say, okay, your doctor, okay, they all say it's safe. And I understand it. So um, I'm going to go through that. So I understand, you know, the concern there. But I think what you don't under, uh, what you might not think about is if you don't choose this door, you're choosing that one. And that door is not getting vaccinated in the COVID-19 pandemic. And we are 100% sure. We know 100% about what's through that door. We faced, we faced a year of it. It is sickness, hospitalizations, death of loved ones in the community. It's broken everything. So by not choosing the vaccine, you're actively choosing to go down the path that we've been for the last year. So I think I would I would really try to make it a binary choice um, to help when folks choose. So let's talk about the vaccine, for example. Is it? Let's talk about safety. Is it safe? One question, one concern people have was it was made so quickly. You know, how can it be safe? It was made so quickly. So. Um, the science that went into it has been worked on for decades, first of all, but really when from last January, um, when we first sequenced the virus to the development vaccine, all the folks in the white coats, so the scientists did everything as they should. It was the folks in the blue coats, the business folks that decided to get their act together and make things shorter. So that means they poured millions, billions of dollars to make sure things go faster, will move from one step to another. They started making the vaccine uh, as soon as uh, there's a chance that we're looking like it was going to work. Plus, they paid and made all these vaccines that haven't even been approved just in case they might get approved. That's usually a year or two lag after approval to making vaccine. They just started making it right away. They said, whatever, let's just spend the money. Um, so all of those things the regulatory agencies start working together. So any type of three to six month delay that would happen normally was done. Uh, everybody just worked 24 hours and got it done quickly. So that's how we were able to shorten this um, significantly. Also, how do you know it's safe? Well, this is what, you know, just a quick primer on a phase three clinical trial. So this is what happens. There's 50,000 people, uh, who are in a trial, all sorts of ages, all sorts, uh, you know, different races, ethnicities, chronic conditions, no chronic conditions, you know, the full gamut. Uh, half of them get a vaccine and half of them don't. No one knows who gets a vaccine and who doesn't. All right. The doc doesn't know, the patient doesn't know, no one knows. And then they just watch all these 50,000 people. And then at a certain point, they say, okay, there's been, you know, 300 infections of COVID. Let's see who's gotten them. When they did that, they saw it was mainly all the people who'd get the placebo, not anyone who got the vaccine. And that says, oh, wow, that means the vaccine works. So that's really how that trial worked. And that's how 
And then after that, that's a company that did that. Then they go to the FDA for an independent review. So independent scientists look at the data and give it a thumbs up. But that's not where it ends either. Then it goes to the CDC, Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices. That's a whole other group of scientists, not CDC employees all across the nation. Um, academic centers look at the data and then make the recommendation and that's approved. So that's the hard process of getting it approved. Um, but what we know now, especially with Pfizer and Moderna, is that 50,000 people we say for, now we have millions and millions of people that have taken the vaccine. So now that data is even stronger because there, we haven't seen adverse effects from it as well. So that means it's even safer. And the other point also with safety is uh, there was a, they looked at two months of safety before approving it. But now we've had three, six months of it as well. But what we know about vaccine science is over 95% of side effects occur in the first two months. So if it doesn't happen in the first two months, it's not going to happen. So that's all the reasons why um, we are confident that it's safe. And it is, if I could go and tell you how effective it is as well, but I'll stop right there because I've been on a rant a little bit. Um, but that's really how it works. And then also it's not a live virus. So uh, let me just take one minute and tell you actually what happens in your body when you get the vaccine. So when you get COVID-19, all right, let's think about, you know, there's a circle virus and there's these little spikes on it, okay? It gets in your body. Your body sees these spikes and says, that is something foreign. Let me make some white blood cells, some antibodies and attack this thing. So your body started building that up. You know what? Sometime, but you have a lot of virus in there and the virus is out there causing havoc in your body. So sometimes your white blood cells win, you build enough and you fight it out and you don't, and you do okay. Sometimes the white blood cells don't win and the virus goes and you get really sick, hospitalized and you might die. So that's how COVID-19 works. Well, what happens with the vaccine is it, what injects in you is nothing of the virus. It's, a, it's just the spike. It creates a spike a protein in which your body says, wow, that's foreign. So that your body goes through the same process without having to fight the virus. It's just spike. So that's foreign. Let me get white blood cells and antibodies. And then if you do get infected later on, you have that on deck. You're already protected with that so you can fight it as well. So that's really how the vaccine works. There's no live virus. It's just mimicking a little protein. Um, so you have the antibodies ready when you, if you do get exposed to it, they're already on deck and ready to fight. Folks, if you didn't hear all of that, it's not any more complicated than that. He's broken it down for us in the most simplistic way. And I had to bring on the best person I know to do it. Um, so continue to go out there, be safe, and make sure that you listen to your healthcare providers as we continue to move forward with this pandemic and COVID-19. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate it. Folks, episode 53 of the V1 Today Show. I'm here with Dr. Encore Shore. Uh, he is the director, senior director of the DC Department of Health, uh, deputy director of the CHA, and he is holding it down for us in various ways. And I have some quick fire questions for you, Dr. Shaw, before we close out. Now, you uh, fantastically 
We're a member of the 40 and under 40 leader in minority health. So congratulations for that. Super excited. Um, but, um, you know, as, as a healthcare provider and as a leader in the healthcare um, system, I, I'm sure that you've experienced a number of different things uh, when it comes to either discrimination or uh, biases. And especially during this time where there's been so much um, attention on uh, uh, Asian hate. Right. And I know you're South Asian, um, which is a subset, clearly. Uh, but, you know, in New York, we're talking about there have been a number of issues and, and people who have been violently attacked on the street um, just for being uh, any kind of Asian descent, at least appearing to be of Asian descent. And people, you know, equating that to, again, coronavirus and, and, and myths and, and thoughts about its origin happening um, uh, in, in Asia. Um, what are your thoughts like about these? these things that have been happening? Um, and have you in particular been um, exposed or uh, affected by any of the things that are happening in the DC area? Yeah, I um, well, it's horrible as um, I think we all would agree uh, and incredibly sad. I think uh, what we see is something that didn't happen overnight. It was uh, kind of a build up of hate and permissiveness of hate from leadership, um, from national leadership. So I think leadership does matter, whether it's in nationally or locally or in your own community. And when uh, you have that, that permissiveness, uh, then you're empowering the wrong folks uh, to think that it is acceptable to act in a certain way as well. And I think the only way to counter that is to show leadership in your own communities, nationally, locally, to um, be allies among you know our uh, Asian colleagues and our friends, and as well as a sh show that uh, we're all one. We're all just one uh, one people fighting against hate, uh, trying to get out of this as well. I think personally, I think um, I yes, I uh, definitely have you know, experienced, uh, prejudice and, uh, comments and, you know, throughout, uh, the time in DC, but also, uh, kind of every step of the way. And I think that's not uncommon, um, as well. Uh, and it's really, I think it's important not to like those type of acts can be really destabilizing, can really just like ruin a lot versus kind of leaning into uh, the good, uh, leaning into, you know, your uh, community and uh, your allies and really how do we make everyone, how do we make, keep on pushing things forward? You know, thinking, going back to pediatrics, how do we just change a trajectory? We're not talking about fixing everything. Let's just change a trajectory and then be that positive impact that changes the trajectory. Yeah, that's well said. I really think, um... You know, even with the the instances happening here in New York and across the world with um, Black Lives Matter, you know, it's all it's all kind of connected in terms of just like you said, not not really leaning more on the the level of love, but more on the level of hate. And again, leadership, you know, being the, the prime pusher of those things. So I agree with you, you know, well said on, on all those those levels and hoping that we as a people can continue just to be better, not just the COVID-19, but just better in general. Um, and I think that COVID-19 has been that equalizer. Um, and that's why I, 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 
I talk about it almost every episode because it's that one thing that has really equalized the playing field for everyone. I mean, no matter who you are, you've been affected by this to some extent, financially, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, in, in some respect. And, and we all can connect to this one thing that the entire world has gone through. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that we've gotten through this, but I do hope that as we come to the, the end of this thing, that we can really look at how precious life is and not focus so much on our differences, but more on our similarities and how strong we can be as a people. Um, so that being said, I ask every person on the show, if they could change one thing in the world to make it a better place, what would it be? So Dr. Shaw, what would you change in the world if you could change one thing to make this world a better place, what would it be? I, I just more love. I think that's at the end of the day, the more we could uh, love each other and understand each other, I think the better everyone will be. I appreciate that. And, you know, Be More Today is really the, 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 the provider in my mind of just trying to really push that um, to get people to recognize that we can all be more together. Uh, and it means something different to everybody. I've asked everybody on the show what it means to them. And you, my friend, are the 53rd person. So what does the phrase Be More Today mean to you? How can that phrase to me means how can I provide more positive energy out into the world today than I did yesterday. How can I continue to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've been doing that in a variety of ways. Again, I'm, 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 I'm so fascinated by your ability to, I mean, it is showing love, right. To show love in what you do and to educate your community um, in a way that is efficient and effective uh, across all boards. I mean, I, I think the beauty about healthcare is that, you know, when you take that oath and we have an oath that we take too, you know, it's really about do no harm to everybody. You know, it's not about doing no harm to some people or, or if you fall, fall into this tax bracket, it's really about everybody. And, you know, I, I just wish that other professions and, and other other people were to apply that same concept to, to what they're doing. I mean, if we didn't have all these biases around us, uh, it would be a better place in general for us to live in. Um, but I do know things happen and, and, you know, self rises up and we become whoever we are. But I appreciate that sentiment that you just, that just mentioned. It's just something that I really, I really believe in as well. I believe in as well. So um, Dr. Shaw, what's one thing that you wanted to or have already started to do um, differently or better for yourself for 2021? You know, I actually, um, I think it, I, I first want to give uh, kudos where it's due, which is you, is uh, I think you and all the work you're doing um, really kind of helped motivate me to think about um, my own uh, physical, emotional, and mental health. You know, I think throughout this pandemic, uh, I've leaned a little too much into um, the professional work side and not that I you know, my physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental health side as well. And uh, kind of looking at all the work you're doing and uh, seeing uh, kind of seeing all the content before coming here, I think it really invigorated me to think everything is connected. So you can't focus on filling one cup and leave all these other uh, cups empty as well. So I think uh, very tangibly, if we talk uh what I hope to continue to do is really have a deeper focus on my physical health as well as my family health as well. Awesome. Awesome. Dr. Show, any final tips you want to share with um, aspiring MDs or anyone who's in the 
public health realm, anyone who is going through COVID-19 clearly and looking for more information on, on, on um, either where to get their vaccine, how to get the vaccine, how they should be living, or anything related to um, the topics of love and, and bettering our world we talked about today. Yeah, I, I think there are so many ways um, to help improve uh, the lives of others, as well as just to help, you know, our environment or community uh, be better. Uh, there's one path, which is through medicine and healthcare, another path through public health, but there's so many others. Um, I think as long as uh, we're on that, trying to improve the trajectory of all, uh, then that is, we're all on the same team. Um, and we're all doing that together. As for COVID-19 and information, I think the best place to, uh, is the CDC website. There is so much content on um, the vaccine, information about it, as well as uh, links to other health departments about where you can get your vaccine. Each state is so different about who qualifies and where it gets it. It's incredibly confusing as well. So going to your state health department website yeah, probably helps as well. Awesome. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for being a guest on Be More Today's show. You've made episode 53, one for the books. I really appreciate it. And again, I got to say, man, I'm super impressed by you. I'm really proud of you. Um, it's just been awesome watching your growth. And I just hope that you continue to do this great work that you're doing in D.C. and around the world. People are watching. People are being blessed by your your diligence and your hard work and efforts. And um, I wish you the best moving forward. No, I thank you for the opportunity. It's great getting to connect again. You're also my big brother. Uh, so it's, uh, thank you for everything you're doing and helping kind of lead this way. Um, I'm yeah, I'll, kudos. And I look up to you so much. Thank you. Not a problem, man. And, uh, our quotation for today, folks, don't forget it by Anne Frank, how wonderful it is that nobody need wait for a single moment before starting to improve the world. You heard Dr. Shaw talk about it. He's improving the world one step at a time in his neck of the vineyard, his pod, if you will, um, sharing information, making sure that everyone is is given the access and education they need to get through this pandemic, financially, spiritually, physically, mentally, all the realms. And he's doing a great job. So if you're doing that same thing in your neck of the vineyard, do it. Make sure you go out there and and get the information, encourage people around you. Um, Let's stop the hate. Let's continue to educate one another moving forward. And let's use every single day to be more. I mean, our whole thing is life is not promised. We saw that this year. We've already been through the worst, hopefully, that we will ever have to see in our lifetime. Let's come out of this thing stronger than we were before and move forward daily to be better people uh, the rest of our lives. Again, for more information, be more today, try bemoretoday.com for our music, my book. Um, our, our podcast information is going to be on all podcast platforms as always, and also on YouTube. So subscribe if you haven't subscribed already, appreciate it. And if you want to send us any information or reach out to Dr. Shaw, you can send me an email at bemoretoday.com. That be more today, number two day at gmo.com. Um, Dr. Shaw, where can people follow you or, or, or ask you questions if they want to ask you any questions? How can they follow you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, Encore Y Shaw. Perfect. Perfect. You guys heard that. You guys heard that. Follow him and ask him the questions you need. Uh, and always continue to follow us as well as we have every single Wednesday. The Words for Life podcast is every single Wednesday, giving you more inspiration just to keep moving to the middle of the week. And folks, check out our YouTube page for all the workouts we put out every single week. And as I always say, have a good day. Have a good night. Have a great life. And continue to take your steps to be the best version of you. We'll see you next week. 
Peace.